Well, hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to this week's Bible Breakdown. Um, What a difference a couple weeks makes in terms of weather. If you are in similar weather that I am right now, um, it couldn't be much different from Snowpocalypse two weeks ago. So really grateful for that and enjoying the weather. Also enjoying the fact that we're going to be opening up in James 2 today. So we're going to be going through verses 14 through 26. So um, you may have seen that there's actually currently a podcast up that is about the relationship of faith and works that we did uh, based on 2 Peter 1. That was from a, a month and a half ago or so. And so that one kind of went over this issue of faith and works um, from a little bit more of a topical standpoint. So we talked a little bit more um, in general about the relationship between faith and works. Um, this time we're going to be in James 2. We're going to be talking about faith and works, but we're going to be taking it verse by verse um, from James 2. So we'll be taking a little bit different tack to it and um, we'll be able to see some different things um, that James is saying. Uh, if you're familiar with James 2, you may know that there's a lot of uh, people can read it and can have a hard time understanding what James is saying because it can come across like James is saying that works are a part of our salvation. And uh, so we're going to read through that and see how um, that's not what we believe. In fact, um, we fall in line with the historical faith that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that is what we believe is the nature of salvation. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how what James says here um, is not contrary to that. Um, but rather is in step with that, however, looking at it from a little bit of a different vantage point. So we're going to take an examination of that. Um, just to recap, if you didn't have a chance to listen to the Faith and Works episode, that is okay. Um, but I'm just going to give a few little bullet points um, if you don't have time to go back and listen to that one, um, just to know some important places we landed in that podcast so that um, if you have questions, feel like this one's wanting a little bit, Um, You can know that it's only because I didn't want to repeat. So just four points that I wanted to make sure we hit from the other podcast so that hopefully this one isn't lacking too much. Um, The first is what I just shared, that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is what ties us to the historical church. That's what the true believers have always believed, and uh, we believe that as well. So I wanted to make sure that that's clear up front. Um, Works are not something that we cannot work our way into our salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. It's only because of Christ's work, because of what Christ did on our behalf, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and having faith that he paid for our sins, that he alone was able to reconcile us to God. So that's important. Got to remember that. Got to keep that in mind the whole time. Uh, Second, and that, again, walks in step with that, uh, a genuine faith, a genuine faith in Christ alone and Christ's work results in good actions, in good deeds, good works in our lives. Um, And we can really owe this to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we have a true faith in Jesus, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working in us, um, is guiding us, is uh, reminding us of the words of Jesus, um, and is also conforming us into the image of Christ. So we have the Holy Spirit in us that's transforming us into a whole new person. So uh, a genuine faith in Christ doesn't leave us the same way. I really like the the phrase, you may have heard it, that Jesus invites us to come as we are, but not to stay as we came. That um, 
there's no prerequisite to coming to Jesus, to believing in Jesus. But when we do, he's asking us something. He's asking something of us um, to change and to not live for ourselves, but to live for him. So a genuine faith does result in good works, even though that faith is in Christ alone. And third, an absence of works shouldn't be an opportunity for us to decide whether another person is saved. So yes, a genuine faith does produce good works, but a couple points. We can't take a snapshot of somebody's life um, and understand what's really going on, what the trajectory of their life is, what the ministry of the spirit in their life is like. And also we should really not take any opportunity to decide whether or not a person is a genuine believer just by looking at their outward actions. We should always be aware if there are people around us that that don't believe in Jesus, we want to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them, to witness to them, but not from this judgmental standpoint of, oh, I wonder if that person's really saved. Um, that's not really ever going to be our role. That's really only between uh, a person and God, whether that is true or not. So absence of works is never an opportunity for us to pick up the first stone, so to speak. And then finally, a life that's not consistent with one's belief should be addressed, but salvation shouldn't be questioned. So if you do have a friend, say someone that you're, you're seeing there, they're living a life that's not quite consistent with their claim that they believe in Jesus. That's not the time again to say, I wonder if that person's really saved. It's really a time to go to that person and say, hey, you profess this faith in Jesus, but I, I see these actions that are not quite lining up. Uh, what's going on? That's really an opportunity for us as members of the church to um, confront one another. Confront sounds kind of aggressive, but to challenge one another, to help grow one another, um, to be exhorting one another to good works. And sometimes we need that in our lives. We need people to come to us. And then it's also, it is possible that that person could say, maybe, maybe this faith I have isn't really what I thought it was. Um, but again, not taking that as a time for judgment. So that's kind of where we were at with the uh, Faith and Works podcast that we did a few weeks ago. And so just keeping that in mind as we go through James 2. So going to start just by giving a little background on James, um, most of the person, less the book, um, but a little bit. So James um, is Jesus' brother. So he is the biological son of Joseph and Mary, um, whereas Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, um, born to Mary as a virgin. So call them brothers in a eternal sense is not true because James is not eternal, but Jesus is. Um, and so they were in Jesus' life on earth, they were brothers. So um, I don't know if any of you have siblings. I'm sure many of you do. Finding out one of them was the Messiah and the Son of God would be a little shocking. Um, and I encourage you not to believe them if they tell you that at this point. You can imagine, honestly, what James went through trying to um, navigate that as a sibling. And then now he's a leader of um, a church. So he's a leader of the church in Jerusalem. So can you imagine going from growing up with your brother to leading a church that worships him? Pretty strange situation for James to be in, but here he is. So this is a, actually a different James than James the Apostle. So uh, James the Apostle is the brother of John. Uh, this is James, brother of Jesus, who is leader of the Jerusalem church. And a big theme in this book is a concern with the church's lack of care for those in need. That may be the poor, widows, orphans, um, showing favoritism. James is going to cover a lot of those different topics. That's a major theme of his book, um, that he's not seeing uh, this faith resulting in good deeds, this faith that they have. So we have to keep that in mind as we read this. It's going to give us a lot of 
well, I say a lot. It's going to give us some clarity. Um, the goal of this podcast is not to forever answer every question that could possibly come up from this passage. Um, people have spent a lot of their time trying to do that and still have not succeeded. There are questions that exist in this passage, but I'm hoping to give you kind of a working understanding of the passage um, so that if someone should ever ask you to explain it, or if you yourself have always wondered how to explain it, hoping we can at least make some progress on that. So we're going to start in James 2, verse 14 through 17. I'm going to read that here. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So starts out um, with this kind of rhetorical situation. He gives an example, um, possibly something that was actually going on in his church, possibly just something totally made up. But he gives this example of a person who says they have faith, but no works. And so uh, in this situation, a person comes up, knock, knock, knock. It's during snowpocalypse. Um, they say, hey, uh, I don't have food and I don't have clothes. And the person who says they have faith sees this person in need. And they say, ah, I wish you peace. I hope that you will be warmed. I hope that you will be filled. Shut the door. Okay, so that's the situation that James is, play is playing for us, um, that someone comes, they have a need, you see them, um, you take kind of this maybe uh, quote-unquote spiritual response, um, but you totally ignore the need that you see right in front of you. I mean, it's, it's nice to say go in peace, be warmed, be filled. I, it's kind of like I hope you'll be warm and filled. That's, I mean, that's nice. Um, but he's saying if a brother or sister in Christ should come up to you and say that, what? What good is this faith that you say you have? What good is this quote unquote spirituality that you have? He's saying rhetorically, it's not, it's not good. It's not good because you said you had faith. You said you had this life changing experience, but I needed a jacket. I needed some bread and you didn't give it to me. So James is asking, what's the point of that church church? Why should we be turning people's needs away when they're right in front of us. And he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So this is our Greek word necros. Um, and that word is typically used of like a, a literally a dead, dead body. Um, it's an adjective, but it can be used also as a noun to mean like a dead body. Um, but we also see it in the epistles. We see it regularly used to describe uh, faith or uh, others, another spiritual condition, um, and basically a spiritual condition that is so um, is so down, is so unevident that it might as well be dead. So there's a couple, there's a lot of examples uh, throughout the New Testament, but uh, Revelation three, Jesus is talking to a church, um, says, "You have a good reputation, but I know that you're dead." Um, and he's talking about their spiritual death. Um, Hebrews six um, talks about uh, dead works, um, about works that are not doing anything. Romans 6, a little bit different. Paul describes us as being dead to sin. And he's saying in a spiritual way that our relationship to sin is so small that we, it, we're dead to it, that it's, it doesn't have an active, um, an active place in our lives. It's kind of what he's getting at there. So those are some ways that we use that word. And so when 
James is saying this. He's saying this faith, if, if this is how it's going to go, if you're not going to actually act on this faith that you say you have, um, it's worthless. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And he's going to use the word useless in verse 20. So he's basically saying, what good is this faith that doesn't actually act out what it says it believes? What good is this faith that's honestly, he's kind of saying it's almost theoretical. It's like a theoretical faith that doesn't actually do anything. And so from this first paragraph, what we can see is James is really setting up kind of this working definition here in this passage in 14 through 26 of what faith alone means. So when we say we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone in Christ alone, we're saying something a little different than what James is saying. What we're saying when we say we're saved by faith alone is that there's nothing that we could do that would earn us any merit before Jesus. So our salvation is apart from our works. What James is saying is actually a little different here. He's basically saying this idea that a a faith that's in name only. So a faith that is not interested in acting on what it fully believes, a faith that is not, um, is not grounded in the Holy spirit and the ongoing work of the spirit in a person's life. So, He's going to talk about faith alone uh, a little bit later. Verse 24, we'll hit that at the very end. What he's talking about is a faith that's in name only, basically, this nominative faith, a person that um, doesn't allow their faith to actually affect their actions. So that's kind of what we see James talking about here. And we get that from the first paragraph because he's talking about a faith that doesn't have works. And the works are that they do what they should do, that they do what this faith should lead them to do. So that's important for us to remember as we move through this passage. So moving on to the next paragraph in verses 18 and 19, it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So uh, James is using this kind of rhetorical device here that we see in some other Greek philosophy. So um, things like if you ever were in a school where they made you read something like Plato's Republic or something like that, um, in those type of, uh, in that time, they would have a person, an interlocutor is what the fancy word is for them. It's basically a person who's there to set up the argument. So um, Socrates will be talking And somebody will say, well, what about this? Or, oh, yes, of course, things like that. He's not really adding any content, but rather it's kind of making it seem like it's a a conversation. Uh, The Socratic method, after all, is kind of about dialogue. So they're kind of falling in step with that. James is using a little bit of a similar device here by setting up an interlocutor here um, by saying, but someone will say, so that's the interlocutor, you have faith and I have work. So he's basically allowing, he's kind of throwing up the softball Um, for himself so he can knock it out of the park is really what James is doing here. So he's got this um, pretend person who says, you have faith and I have works. So this person, this imaginary person that James has made up, he is basically drawing this line. He's saying, well, I have faith and and you have works. um, So I think we should be good with that, almost as if 
faith is like a, a spiritual gift and works are a spiritual gift as if they have no relation to each other. That's kind of what James is setting up that um, this person, this faith alone person, again, we're using that in a, a special kind of James way where he's talking about a person whose faith um, seems to be in name only um, that he's saying, well, I have faith and you have works. They're different. So, James is going to use that to kind of tear him apart a little bit. So what James response to that is show me your faith apart from your works. and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is saying, you try to show me faith apart from what you do. And he's assuming you're going to fail, but by my works, you're going to see the faith that I have because it comes out of a place of genuine faith in Jesus. So James is telling this, pretend person, this rhetorical device, you can't show me your faith if you don't have works. But you know what? I can show you that my faith is genuine if I have works. And then he comes in with a amazing Bible burn in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He's like, good job. You believe about as much as demons believe. So congrats. That's pretty good burn. I'm going to give James an eight out of 10 on that one. Um, I think, I think it was pretty good. And I'm sure that person was absolutely devastated by that, even though again, they were fake. They were on James' mind. James kind of sets up this person who he then burns himself. It's kind of like he was setting up a joke for himself. You know what? It worked. I liked it. So that's kind of what we're looking at in 18 and 19 is he's setting up this rhetorical person. He's saying, you can't show me this faith you have in name, because guess what? I'm not seeing it in your life. But if you see my life, you can know that my faith is genuine. So that's basically what James is saying there. So moving on, um, we're going to now look at 20 through 23 and then 25 and 26. We're going to end with verse 24, because that one can be the most like that one can be the most shocking when we read it. So um, we're going to move to verses 20 through 23. um, And James is continuing his diatribe against his interlocutor. And he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, another burn, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So first he's going to set up this example uh, again after another burn on the fake person he made up that he's he's bringing out the heavy hitters. A lot of times when these guys want to make a a point, whether it's Paul, it's James, they're going to, um, the author of Hebrews is going to do it too. They bring out these heavy hitters. Abraham is the father of the nation. So, okay, you want me to prove my point? I'm going to bring up someone you know. How about Abraham? So what he's basically arguing about Abraham is that he was, quote unquote, justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar. So we know that um, Abraham was called by God, Genesis 12. Um, He invites him to come to a land that he's going to show him. Um, And Abraham responds in faith by following God. Even though um, in all likelihood, Abraham was living uh, in a pagan society before that. He goes and he follows God. He becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And so what James says about, he's specifically talking about this incident with Isaac. Um, You may remember that uh, God calls 
Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, this son that he had so long been waiting for that had been a miracle baby because um, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was very old when she uh, gave birth to him. And now God's asking that he offer up Isaac. So this is a, ultimately a test by God. Um, he's not going to let Abraham kill Isaac. Um, but it's a major ask from God. It's a real a major test of his faith. And so what James is arguing is you see that his faith was active along with his work. So Abraham didn't say, I believe you, God, um, but you know what? I'm not going to sacrifice Isaac, but I can assure you, I believe you. That's not what Abraham does. What Abraham does is he follows up. His faith is seen in his actions. We know that he had faith in who God was because he was willing to go so far as to almost sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. So he's using this as an example. Our father, Abraham, and he quotes the, the Genesis passage that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the same uh, verse that Paul's going to use to explain that it's apart from works of the law that we are saved. He's going to use it to say, yeah, and we know that he had faith because he acted on it. We saw his faith. We didn't. He didn't have faith in name only. His faith resulted in something that shows that it was genuine faith. So he's going to be using Abraham here to say that his obedience in terms of being willing to sacrifice Isaac showed that his genuine showed his genuine faith in God. And so that's the kind of faith that James is um, raising up as the uh, as the ideal. This is the kind of faith I'm looking for in our church, the kind of faith that isn't just in name only, but that actually shows that a real heart change has happened because you can see it from works. So that's the first one. Second, we're going to get an example from Rahab. So starting in verse 25, it says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also so also faith apart from works is dead. So he's going to use uh, a, uh, Rahab as a similar example. Um, Rahab obviously doesn't get the same uh, amount of time in the scripture as Abraham, so a little less material to work with. But basically, he's saying Rahab was justified when she did this act on behalf of the messengers um, who had been sent to spy out Jericho. And I think what James is really trying to tell us is, Rahab showed that she had faith in whoever this nation was. And to be honest, she probably didn't know much at all about the God of Israel, the nation of Israel. She just knew that they had a reputation, but she showed that she had faith, that she wanted to um, support them because these people that were in need, she helped them. So he's kind of saying just like the opposite of a person who sees a person who's poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and then sends them away. That's the bad example. Rahab was in a similar situation. She saw people that needed to be hidden, but she took that opportunity to hide them. And that showed that she was in step with God's plan. Even if she didn't fully understand it at that moment, even if she didn't fully know what she was getting herself into, she took a step of faith to hide these spies, even though they were planning to overthrow her city and she was able to save her family that way. So Rahab is an example of how obedience showed that she had some sort of faith in what God was going to do and that she would be spared. Um, and that was shown by her actions. And let's not forget that this Rahab, we're reminded here that she was a prostitute, that she's a part of the lineage of Jesus. 
this is a little bit of an aside, but I think it is always important to consider things like this. God does not call the perfect. God does not call us to perfection. He does not expect us to be without sin. And especially as we're talking about this faith and works issue, it's important for us to be reminded that God is aware of our shortcomings and he was aware of our shortcomings in eternity past. And before Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he knew of our shortcomings, the ones we would have before we knew him, the ones we would have during the time that we've known him, had a relationship with him. Um, that was in his mind. But what we see is this incredible story of redemption that just flows throughout the Bible constantly. And, and Rahab is such a great example. A person who lived a life as a, as a prostitute um, makes this bold choice to save these spies. Um, she shows her faith in Jesus and she ends up being in the uh, in the biological line of Joseph and ultimately that we understand to be the lineage of Christ. If that's not redemption, I don't know what it is. So side note, but important to, I think too, that she comes up in this because it's, it's relevant. It's relevant because Rahab wasn't perfect. Rahab's works didn't always uh, line up with a faith in God, especially before um, this probably. Um, but we see just the story of redemption that comes throughout the scripture. So side note, kind of related. But as we finish up, I just want to read verse 224 and then kind of try to tie this whole thing together. So verse 224, this one can be the one that's the most confusing for us as we're in this passage. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So you hear that and you're like, well, there goes that grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone thing that Blake was saying. It's we got to take faith alone out of there. So what do we do? Now let's remember, what are we describing faith alone as here in this passage of James? We're describing it as a faith that comes in name only. So James is not saying that uh, we are saved by works, but rather a person is a person. The genuineness of a person's faith is shown by their works and not just by a claim to faith alone. He's saying, hey, if you're in my church, I want you to know um, you can't just say that you have faith when I see no fruit in your life. I'm calling you out. That's not a genuine faith. So that's what we're saying here. And uh, a thing that people often bring up and that I'm going to just pull out here is um, this kind of what seeming contradiction between part of Romans and part in this part of James. So James, like we just read, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Romans 3.28 says a person is justified by faith and not by works of the law. So opponents of Christianity, um, even people who are just trying to genuinely understand, will see those two verses and they'll say, how in the world can these two be reconciled to one another? And it's 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 tough. It's a challenge. And we've I've tried to kind of uh, explain a little bit how I see those working together. Um, but as I've been studying for this passage, I've been reading a lot of uh, commentary on James by a guy named Doug Moo, who, apart from his last name being an onomatopoeia, is a really smart guy. And um, there's a paragraph from his um, his commentary on James that I wanted to read. It says, a more profitable approach is to compare the word faith in Paul with the phrase faith alone in James. The addition of alone shows clearly that James refers to the bogus faith that he has been attacking throughout the paragraph. That the faith that a person claims to have, a faith that is in fact dead and useless. This faith is by no means what Paul means by faith. 
He teaches that faith is dynamic, powerful force through which the believer is intimately united with Christ as Lord. And since faith is in a Lord, the need for obedience to follow from faith is part of the meaning of the word for Paul. He can therefore speak of the obedience of faith and say that it is faith working through love that matters in Christ. So that's kind of partially what I've been trying to to get at, and I'm grateful for um, his um, his great commentary there on that. But the faith that there that we're talking about in these two passages that I just read, the ones from two twenty four and the one from Romans three twenty eight, they're not talking about faith in the same way. And we can tell by that addition of the word alone in James. James is talking about a faith that is in name only that's dead and useless. Paul is talking about a legitimate faith that results in obedience to Jesus. So when we see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, that does not take away from our historical creed. James is not in opposition to Paul, but rather a a faith that is in words only, is in name only, that is nominal, is not a faith that justifies, but rather a genuine faith that results in works is the one that ultimately justifies. So that's kind of what we're looking at. So we're coming up on time. So just wanted to wrap up by saying, I hope that this gave you at least some helpful things to think about with this passage. It's a challenging passage. There's no way around that. There's no way to just really clearly, really easily explain this and people explain it in different ways. That's how I understand it. And um, I do not believe that there is any contradiction in our scripture. And I know that God wants us to understand how to follow him. He wants us to understand that our works are not something that contributes to our salvation, but rather our works are an outpouring of our salvation because we're so grateful for what Jesus has done and the ministry of the Holy Spirit allows us to act in righteousness. So I hope that at least clears it up a little bit for you. And I will be praying for you as you teach the lesson this week and uh, just hope that we can all work in a faith, live in a faith, Um, that's meaningful to others, that's not dead and not useless.